And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. Welcome to Rates and Barrels, presented by Tops. Check out Tops Project 70, celebrating 70 years of Tops baseball cards. It is Friday, July 9th. At least I'm pretty sure it's Friday, July 9th. Derek Van Riper, Richard Rolli, Eno Saris here with you just ahead of All-Star Weekend. A much-needed break in the schedule and lots of fun stuff to talk about on this episode. The Home Run Derby field is officially set. We will talk about the matchups in the first round, who we'd like to possibly win that event this year. We'll also talk about some players we're excited to see in the Futures game, which will go down on Sunday afternoon. A few of our favorite storylines from the first half of the season and a question about innings concerns in the second half, what some teams might be doing to combat that. Let's get right after it, though. Let's start with the Home Run Derby. The field, eight players in it. The bracket-style format continues. Great adjustment, as we talked about a couple shows ago. Shohei Otani versus Juan Soto, Joey Gallo versus Trevor Story, Matt Olson versus Trey Mancini, and Salvador Perez versus Pete Alonso, who could be one of the handful of players to win the event twice if he happens to win in Denver this weekend. When you guys think about the Home Run Derby, what matters to you? What are you looking for? Because it's really a glorified batting practice, but it's kind of hyped up and sped up in a way where you don't get to relax. Like you actually need to be pretty fit to do well in the current format of the home run derby. Uh, Britt comparing this to the older format where guys could really take their time and you know the, the lumbering slugger could do a lot better. It seems like it takes a, a different type of player to thrive with the timed head-to-head environment. Yeah, you hear guys often say that it's exhausting and you could see why. This is why some guys opt to not do it or you have the claims that it changes their swing uh, because it's totally different. It's not just BP. It's BP on steroids, more or less, right? Like we're going to be in a ballpark where, you know, the balls could fly out. We apparently they're not using the humidors. So this could really be, yeah, this could really be an exciting Home run derby. Um, I do. So I think the high today is ninety nine. I saw that. So basically, someone made the joke that these balls are just going to explode into dust, which maybe they will. Uh, I think it's Mike Petriello. Yeah, I think it's going to be great fun. I think, like you were saying, Derek, guys, this is why you don't often see the best hitters do it. This is why it's so cool to me that Otani, who I learned a few days ago, does not even take batting practice is going to partake in this. Um, this is why I have a problem picking the favorite too, though, because what I don't like th- about this is you can hit like 50 in the first round and it doesn't carry over. So it doesn't really behoove you to have that crazy Josh Hamilton round that everyone remembers. Uh, you have to be consistent and steady. So there's actually a game plan to this, in my opinion. And just in talking to guys, like you have to conserve your energy and do just enough to win every round and not go out there trying to, to hack and get 80 home runs right away. You have to kind of have the wherewithal to say, Hey, if I'm going to win this, which again, do players really care that much about winning it? 
Not really. Depends on who you talk to. I think guys just don't want to be embarrassed. A lot of guys are like, just get me past the first round or just make sure I hit a few. Yeah. Like (laughs) it is sad when you see a guy go out there and he hits like two home runs, right? You're kind of like golf clapping and hoping that it, he hits a few more because that's kind of embarrassing. Uh, but I think the home run derby might be more excited than the all star game this year just because of the storylines. You know, there's a lot of guys to root for. I'm really having a hard time picking a winner, as I said um, earlier. But also, I want so many of these guys to win at once. Like, Otani would be amazing to win for the sport. Trey Mancini, the guy beat cancer. Like, wouldn't it, that also be awesome? Like, Juan Soto doing the Soto shuffle? Yes, please. Yes, story story, and maybe his last, you know, few games in Denver. Yes, and he'd be the first guy to win at home since, remember Bryce Harper at Nats Park? What a show he put on. What a special moment it was for the home fans. I was there. It was incredible. So having a hometown player win is really special. Um, watching Joey Gallo is going to be great. I just, I don't know how you guys feel here. I'm going to be just a huge fangirl out there in Denver. I want everyone to have fun and hit a lot of home runs. And I just don't know if I could pick a winner. Yeah, I mean, I think uh, the potential for like an Otani triple crown where he like wins the home run derby, strikes out three guys in his inning of work and then like hits a homer in the all-star game. It would just be so mind boggling. And he's had such a storybook year uh, outside of the, you know, Tim team wins uh, perspective that I think, uh, you know, that'd be really fun. It would be something, it would be a storyline that we all deserve. I was thinking about this though, because we're talking about how much this is an athletic feat. Uh, it is interesting that, um, he has kind of a longer swing, you know? Um, and I, what if, what if that like takes more to, to sort of duplicate each time? Um, uh, and he's just such a tall guy. Uh, I, I kind of, I love, you know, Harrison Bader types. I've talked about this before. Like, Guys that are just like like fire hydrants, <laughs> mm-hmm. like uh, I think that Pete Alonso is a little bit closer to that, where it's just like kind of compact and like have a compact swing. Another thing that Pete Alonso uh, brings up to me is that you know Derek was saying something about a jet stream to to right center, um, and normally I think of this as being like pull power, raw power. That's all that matters. You're just gonna try and pull you know a ton of homers, and that's it. But Pete Alonso, the year he won, hit opposite field homers in the in the home run derby. I don't think I like I've ever seen that before. <laughs> I think I saw him do that and was like, "Oh, you're gonna lose. You can't do that. You can't go be going for opposite field homers." But he has kind of that kind of swing, and it and it worked for him, and he won. So, um, you know, I think that uh, uh, it, there, I would like to say that lefties are favored. Um, and that, you know, somebody who barrels the ball and has a, a huge max exit velo, somebody like Otani, uh, that would be my natural favorite. And that's also what the betting lines indicate that Otani is the favorite, but maybe a righty going oppo is going to win this. <laughs> yeah. I mean, looking at the odds, it's pretty interesting just to see Otani, the favorite at plus 325, according to BetMGM, Trey Mancini, the biggest long shot at plus 1100. And for years during the All-Star break, when I worked at Rotowire, we had an annual trip to Las Vegas. We would always bet on the home run derby because sports basically stopped during the MLB All-Star break. It was the only thing to bet on. And usually you're just looking at the bottom couple names and kind of talk yourself into a longer odds option. (laughs) Right, because I mean, it's always been a relative crapshoot. A lot actually rides on just how good your your thrower, your designated pitcher in this case actually is yes. like the person grooving you pitches. You think back to the Robinson Cano year 
Like his dad knew exactly where to throw him pitches that he could crush. Uh, having a, a person comfortable throwing BP on a big stage actually matters. Like it's actually a thing. We've seen a couple guys go out there and get the yips, and that has cost guys an opportunity to win the Derby. Uh, I would look at Alonzo at plus 500 as kind of a, a good value, relatively speaking, just because he has won it before. He should have every every advantage in his first round matchup going up against Sal Perez. That's a great draw for Alonzo. And just thinking kind of tactically about this, there is an advantage to being the higher seeded player, right? If you're the higher seeded player, I believe you get to go second. You know how many home runs you need. And like Britt was saying, if you're going first, you just have to hit as many as you possibly can and expend all of your energy. So that's one little thing that I think is is kind of important to look at. It is weird to see Soto at plus 900 because you think about the best hitters on the planet and he's one of the first names that comes to mind but he he goes up against otani in the first round yeah i but i'd i, I kind of like win. soto there yeah i do too uh you know you made that great point about otani taking a lot of energy and everything soto does like okay the shuffle certainly uh takes some energy but his swing is just i think a little bit more effortless otani yeah. has a violent swing which is really hard to repeat that many times I think without getting fatigued. I, yeah, I think like him and Olsen, not, not, now that I'm thinking about it, like these are long swings. It's like, it seems like maybe they could be at a disadvantage. I don't know. Yeah. And, and Otani's never hit BP. So to me, I don't know if I'd call him the favorite, right? Like a guy who has never taken BP is now going to put into an atmosphere that, like I said, is BP on steroids. I don't know. I think Soto mm. can sneak in here. He's got Kevin Long throwing to him. He works really well with Kevin Long. He's the Nationals hitting coach. Um, they take a, they constantly are doing cage work at like midnight. Uh, I kind of like Soto as an, as an underdog here in that first round, at least. Yeah. I'm with Brit on this one. I think at plus 900, especially Soto's the, the way I would try to go here. If I was going to bet one of the longer odds options for this contest, you can also go AL player at minus 200 to win or NL player at plus 160. So in the NL player side, you know, you'd get Soto, you get story, you get Alonzo. Kind of an interesting way to possibly go uh, about things there. Uh, what does Otani do in place of batting practice? Does he do T work? Like, I, probably, I bet you he hits the high velo machine. Mm. He's kind of like one of these data tech guys. So I could see him just being like, why, you know, dominate against a coach throwing 40? What is that going to do for me? That's a fair question. Because like, BP is nothing like what you get in the game. I know it's more to calibrate your swing and, and work on, on that. But in terms of timing the ball, like that doesn't really help you at all. No. One thing that I've seen that's pretty interesting out here in San Francisco, and I, I'm, I'm, I don't think they're the first team to do it, but uh, I've, the first time team I've seen do it regularly, um, they do two uh, distances at batting practice. Um, and they even bring out a machine. So they'll have uh, two people throwing batting practice from different lengths and a machine. And so what they're trying to simulate is off-speed versus fastball versus breaking ball. Um, and the, the closer one looks like it's like maybe like 25 feet away from the batter. <laughs> so uh, And that one sometimes is a machine. So they're actually simulating velo there. Hmm. Um, yeah. But it's weird because you have to pick it up so late. So, But... You know, there there are teams trying to, trying to like fiddle around with batting practice, and 
I could see. And, and, and now and now that the media is waiting for them out on the field, I'm sure there'll be tons of players who are like, nah, I'll just hit in the cages down below. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I guess that's uh, one way things could go. Uh, by the way, Otani's first half, which is still in progress, we still have three more days for him to add to this. He's at 279, 364, 700 for the slash line, 32 homers, 12 steals. He's got 63 runs, 69 RBIs in 84 games. He's got a 349 ERA and a 121 whip with 87 strikeouts in 67 innings pitch. I know this is something that was written about on The Athletic this week. But we really need to stop and just enjoy this as something we will probably never see again. Like even if Shohei Otani is a great player in the big leagues for a long time, this could be the absolute best season he ever puts together. Yes, and I'm also tired of the Babe Ruth comparisons. Let's just enjoy Otani, and that's how I feel. Um, people are like, is this what what watching Babe Ruth was like? Well, I don't know. You guys don't know. None of us got to see Babe Ruth. So I know this sport is used. I know sports in general are about comparisons. Um, but let's just watch and, and, and enjoy Otani, like Derek was saying. We may never see this again. Um, is he the next Babe Ruth? I don't know. He's the first Shohei Otani, though, and that should be enough. Yeah. He's such a stat cast god. I mean, it's like crazy. Here's a guy who can throw the ball 100 and hit the ball 120. It's just. Uh, it's pretty amazing. Um, you got to let him do whatever he wants to do. I know there have been arguments like, you know, I, I've, I've made some of these arguments that I see him maybe as like a shutdown closer, you know, slash right fielder in the future. But um, I'm not saying he should. I, I'm not saying that, you know, he has to do that. Or he should do that. I'm just saying that's where I kind of see him going. Uh, he should he should do what he's doing as long as he can <laughs> because it's awesome. Yeah, yeah, it, yeah. it is awesome and, and more valuable. I, I thought we were at that point too where they're going to have to make that decision this year and, and possibly not let him be a two-way player. And I'm glad I'm wrong about that. It's right, one exactly. Of the, one of the things I'm very happy to be wrong about because it's been a lot of fun. All right, so Britt and I both like Soto at plus 900. You know, is there a longer not- shot option you like here? I'm just staring a hole into Gallo versus Story. I just think that they're right there. You could have a winner. Uh, between those two, I just think that uh, you know Gallo is a, is is a moonshot guy, and he doesn't have to worry about swinging and missing. Hopefully, <laughs> uh, and then story. I think that I, I do think that the hometown guy gets a little juice. I think that like um, the fans will be rooting for him. You know, the, the people will be yelling for him. Uh, they know the stadium really well, so if there is a jet stream to a certain location, they can just sort of pepper that area. Um, and, uh, story knows the batter's eye better than anybody. So like, uh, I could just see the winner coming out of there. And of course, Gal is the favorite. Um, and he goes second. So, uh, I guess that would be where I go. But, um, uh, story, you know, I think it'd be kind of fun. Yeah, I would agree. I mean, we expect him to be on the move before the trade deadline at the end of the month. It'd be a nice way to sort of put a a stamp on the end of his time in Colorado. And on a positive note, since there haven't been a lot of happy moments uh, during his time there, to say the least. Did you see what I think Nick Groker is reporting, that uh, other teams don't know who who to call? Yeah. (laughs) That's that's weird. That's good. That's good. That's good. You have have one of the best, maybe the best uh, asset to sell at the deadline, and people don't know who to call. 
Amazing. Yeah. Maybe get that information out there if you're the Rockies. <laughs> Make it very clear who's actually uh, calling the shots as it pertains to the Trevor Story deal. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service anytime. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. All right, so we've got the Home Run Derby picks in the books. Let's talk about the Futures game. It comes prior to the Home Run Derby, but I think more people will take the time to watch the Derby. Hopefully, more and more people are watching the Futures game, though. Uh, the rosters are loaded, as they often are. Simple question for all of you. What would you like to see in this game, and who are you most excited to see playing in this game as we get a look at a lot of these players for the very first time? We'll start with you, Britt. Gosh, this is really hard because, as you said, Derek, it's loaded. Um, I really want to see Ad- Ali Rushman because I haven't seen him play yet. Um, I keep meaning to make it down there. Orioles top prospect, one of the top pro- prospects in baseball. Um, was it two years ago now that he was drafted? I have like no concept of time. Everything in, <laughs> in, the, in the post-COVID regime. Uh, catcher, um, kind of the guy who, if you're an Orioles fan, you remember how much Matt Wieters was kind of run up the flagpole. Well, this is kind of the next. The projections uh, were amazing. Yes, this is the next guy here. Uh, looking at these rosters, though, it, it is unfair. Bobby Wood Jr. would be great on the AL team. You got Spencer Torkelson, who I'd also love to see. Um, then in the NL, it's also stacked. Uh, Cade Cavalli, the Nationals' top arm, one of the few guys in the national system who people believe is like a can't-miss prospect. Um, would like to watch him. More than anything, guys, I'd love this game to be more than seven innings. Can somebody explain to me why a sport trying to celebrate itself with stacked rosters here, this is the all-star team of the minor leagues, is only going to play seven innings? Why is that? Why? I mean, I think it's the pitching. They just don't want to, like, you know, stretch the pitching. But invite more pitchers then. I mean, the rosters are fungible, you know? Like, you could have a larger number (laughs) of players there, you know? Uh, And, you know, you're only asking three outs of these guys most of the time. So that's that's one of the things that is actually a little bit um, misleading, I think, about the Futures game sometimes, is that you're only asking three outs. A lot of these guys are starters. So it sometimes isn't the best way, place to, to, to... uh, scout a, a starting pitcher, uh, they'll sit there and sit a hundred, <laughs> you know, for for three outs, and they may not even throw their secondary as much. They may just be all fastballs. Um, so you know, I, I'm interested in some of the pitchers, but like Max Meyer stands out for me because I know his fastball and slider are good. Um, he's close to the major leagues, and I think that he'll probably uh, put on a show with those two pitches. 
Um, and uh, so that's one that stands out. And then I'm always interested in like who's closest to the big leagues. So, you know, there are some uh, younger guys that are more exciting and then they're more flawed older guys that are closer, but I'm, <laughs> you know, me, dude, I'm always looking at the guys uh, who might be a little bit less, uh, uh, you know, people might be a little bit less, less lusty after um, like Nolan Gorman, um, and Elliot Ramos, who both have like near 30% strikeout rates, but are either repeating double A or playing in triple A, uh, playing for a team that has a need at their position. Um, I kind of want to see what that swing and miss looks like, you know? Um, is it a velo problem? Is it a spin problem? Uh, or is it just the byproduct of an aggressive, uh, power forward kind of approach? Yeah, I think it's a really good point about the pitching in particular. Just guys can max out. It's a showcase game, essentially. And you're not going to draw a lot of conclusions about a starter who's up three or four ticks with his fastball. That's not who he is most of the time. Yeah, uh, it's, just, it's more of just a sit back and enjoy, but also maybe like put the, the physical attributes of the player in place. You can see athleticism a little better in person than you can on a stats page, right? You can see... How does Marco Luciano look? What do his movements look like? What does his swing look like? There's some things like that that I think are, are stiff, pretty interesting. Like stiff versus loose, right? And then mm-hmm. like, and that and speed is not always easy to see. Like there are guys who have some speed but just aren't asked to steal a lot in the minor leagues, you know. And they might have three to four steals or something, and you don't know how fast they are. Or um, guys that steal a lot that uh, are not as surprised, like maybe not as fast or as not as as sort of liquid as you'd like. So. Yeah. yeah, definitely. I like that. I like the, the sort of looking at their body movements. Yeah, Luciano, I think, is pretty high on my list of players. I had him in a dynasty league, never had seen him play before, was excited about what he was doing. Uh, the league, unfortunately, folded, so I'll have to get Marco Luciano in a different league once he gets closer to the big leagues. But he's having a great season at low A, first full season for him uh, in the minors, and 14 homers, a 134 WRC+. plus. He's young for the level. He's just one of those guys that could move very quickly in that giant system and has a, a huge ceiling. I would say Shane Boz is still very much on my radar because I'm convinced he's among the players in this game that we'll see in the big leagues before the end of the season. I think seeing him in a shorter outing might be more indicative of what he will look like when the Rays bring him up this year because I don't know if he necessarily comes up as a starter, even though long-term, I think he's absolutely in their plans as a starter. So I think in that in that case, I'd be a little more intrigued by, oh, he's hitting What does the top one look like? Yeah, yeah, yeah. like he's maxed out at 101. Like, that's a pretty good lady. He comes up in the, the McClanahan role of last year, right? Bingo. So those are the two guys I'm really excited to see. I think everyone wants to see Jason Dominguez. I, I've compared him to uh, Cameron's dad's Ferrari and Ferris Bueller just because the Yankees, they've kept him kind of in the garage and the complex league all season long. This is really our first chance to see Jason Dominguez against some advanced prospects. What does the bigness look like? Back to your point about like looking at the bodies. Like I've seen some some footage and it, you know he, you know, okay, I've seen some video and he looks big and he looks like he hits you know bombs. But what? How does it move? Because uh, he used to be kind of a little bit smaller and then he just really blew up uh, in terms of size. So does is he? You know, is he like more Vladdy, you know, you know, or is he, uh, you know, when, when we first saw him, people were talking Mike Trout, 
you know, but uh, he almost seems like he blew past that in terms of size. But Mike Trout is that like ideal combination. That's why he's so amazing is he's that ideal combination of power and speed. He's almost like a middle linebacker in football where he's like, that's the thing that always stands out for me when I see Mike Trout is like, whoa, that dude shouldn't be that fast. You know what I mean? Like that dude is big. He shouldn't be that fast. That's like the kind of thing you see when you watch football or basketball sometimes. You don't always see that in baseball. In baseball, you're like, that dude is big. He's not fast. <laughs> yeah. With with Trout in particular, like if you imagine Trout playing high school football, he was the guy that probably get 25 tackles every game because he was the first one of the ball playing in the middle of the defense. The field, yeah. Yeah. Question for you about body type descriptions. You mentioned fire hydrant earlier for <laughs> Pete Alonso. A fire hydrant in my mind is more of like a running back or a fullback if we're sticking with the, the football body Alonso's types. a little bit big. He's he's a little bit big. I was I was thinking Harrison Bader. Bader's a fire hydrant for me. Yeah, baseball just the physiques are just totally different. They're more everyday than your football. Um, I did want to mention though, before we get too off tangent, in the futures game, what's not really getting any attention and I think is notable is Rachel Balkovec is coaching. Um, she's the first women woman to coach in the futures game. Uh, Yankees she's hitting in coach the Yankee system, in the minor right? leagues. Yeah. yeah, she spent about fifteen years. Um, it's it's no by no means a, a token gig. She's been. Working hard for about 15 years now. Uh, was with the Astros for a while. Um, has has stints in the Dominican Republic and um, speaks Spanish. And she is going to be the first in the history of the Futures game to be on that staff. It's a pretty big deal. Will often get overlooked, I'm sure. Uh, but I did want to mention that because I, I I just think it's pretty cool. Yeah, that's that's a really cool thing. I I did see her name on the rosters. Now that I think about it, it's a great call to, to bring that up too. The uh, game starts, I believe, at 3 Eastern, if I converted the time zones right. I'm I'm in a time zone that's not my own yet, and the game's happening in a different time zone that I never go to because it's in mountain time. I think it's one mountain, so that's 3 Eastern, <laughs> if I'm doing all the math correctly. Yes. And the draft starts after that, a little after that. So. It'll be on MLB Network? Yep. All stacked up on LB Network, so people will be locked into that channel uh, all day long. Uh, great rosters up and down, though, really, and one of the few players who unfortunately can't play due to injury who I wanted to see, C.J. Abrams, I would say was would have been high on my list of players I'd like to get a look at because I thought he might be a guy that we'd see in the big leagues by the end of the season if the Padres uh, had the right need. Yeah, I was just I- I down in uh, Slam Diego, <laughs> and uh, uh, they were there was a little bit of sadness for Abrams' injury because um, right now they're kind of nursing Jorge Mateo along as uh, probably the worst use of a roster slot on that team. Uh, but uh, he becomes more valuable in the postseason because he's uh, like the second or first fastest player in the big leagues right now. So he kind of, if you can get him to the big league, and if you can get him to the postseason, then he's your Jared, Gerard Dyson, Terrence Gore, kind of pinch runner extraordinaire. And that's why uh, he's still on the roster. But uh, you could have done that with Abrams because Abrams is super fast. You could have done that with Abrams with a little more upside with the bat. Um, and so it is. It, there is a spot there for the you know the the Padres to upgrade there. Um, and of course, we'll get into trade deadline stuff as uh, as once we get past the All Star game. But uh, it was interesting because there's you know they had a, they lost a ten nothing game that I was attending as a fan with the kids. Um, and uh, there was already like like I got a tweet the next day. 
be honest with me, you know, is this a playoff team? <laughs> I'm like, yes. Yes, this is definitely a playoff team. <laughs> it was the Nats series, right? It was the Nats, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Do you get the sense that Padres fans, because it has been a franchise really riddled by futility for most of its existence, yeah, they, they don't believe they're, <laughs> they're not really willing to like buy in to their own success like in some ways, or they're there just was... convinced that it's going to turn to yes. dust really quickly, even though they're well built for the foreseeable future there's always the like you know the kind of the Mets thing where like pain is always around the corner but uh uh I will say that um in the past I've been going to Padres games right my in-laws moved there uh I don't know 10 years ago and I've been going to Padres games for a while and uh, a lot of the Padres games in the past even when they've been competitive like I went to this series I don't know five six years ago where it was the Giants against the Padres late in the season and both of them had a shot uh, still at the postseason, and uh, it was like I don't know, like forty to fifty percent Giants fans in the stands, um, and I was like, "This is weird." Uh, and you know, we we were even talking about like how this, like among people that I was talking to at, at the game, we were talking about like how in the past. You know, if the Cubs come to town, that's the biggest draw, you know, or if the if the Yankees come to town, it's like the people who moved from New York to San Diego to retire. You know, yeah. like oh, I used to be the list. You used to live in Chicago. The Cubs are coming to town. I'm going to the game. Uh, so they used to kind of almost draw when depending more on who was in town. But they don't have a big core of uh, Washington, D.C. fans. Uh, so Nationals on a Tuesday night, uh, which is the game I covered, wouldn't have had. Uh, almost anybody in the stands. That would have been, uh, you know, a night of sort of 5,000 people. Uh, they had like 35,000 people there. I would say it was, you know, 80, 90% Padres fans. Uh, and they had a really good time with it. Uh, Manny Machado's birthday was that night. And <laughs> they had this, it had this funny thing that happened up on the board. It said, Manny Machado's never faced a pitcher named Machado, right? And then it was his birthday, so the the whole the whole all the fans start singing "Happy Birthday" to Manny Machado. And the next pitch he gets after they sing "Happy Birthday," he swings so hard he lands on his ass, and he's sitting on the plate, and he might be hurt, and he's like taking a real long time to get up. And everyone's like, "Ooh, one of those <laughs> one of those birthdays," you know. <laughs> he gets up, like takes a practice swing, gets back in the box, and hits a hits a game tying double. Of course he and does. And the place just goes wild, you yeah. know, and everyone's having a good time. So yeah. I would say that there there is some of that uh, in San Diego, but uh, they've now had, you know, a team that's been building for two to three years. They have such a good core. Everyone's in love with Tatis and Manny. Um, and, yes. Uh, that that's enough. Like I saw the yeah. cutest little kid, little three year old kid with one of these uh, chains on, and uh, you know, guys, Eno's wearing a swag a- chain for those of you who are only listening. <laughs> yeah, Eno's t- wearing. Let's even back this up for just a moment. Uh-huh. I went downstairs today. And Eno's pouring a bowl of Lucky Charms with the swag chain on. Like, it's just nothing. And I'm like, good morning. Just trying to bring some swag to my everyday life. You're bringing a ton of swag. And I agree with everything you said because my family lives in San Diego and they've been going to Padres games for years. And my mom said, I saw her the other day, she said, I've never seen anything like this. She works at a hospital in San Diego. She's a nurse. And she's like, for the first time ever, we're allowed to wear Padre stuff on Fridays. They're they're kind of like a football team because they've all they've had there. Uh, so there's my yeah, mom the wearing her little gone. 
Yeah, it was my mom wearing her like Tatis jersey and her swag chain at some hospital in San Diego on Fridays. Yeah. I just think it's hilarious. <laughs> I keep telling her, send me a photo of all these nurses dressed in like Padre swag. I'll tweet it. It's hysterical. Yeah. Casual, casual Friday. Love it. Yeah. Oh, but just a, this little three-year-old I saw had like a hat with fake uh, Tatis dreads on the back. <laughs> It's amazing. Amazing. Oh, he had like gloves on and a jersey and sliding shorts and like, oh my God, he just, he was so cute. And uh, yeah, everyone's just having a really good time. And that ballpark, what's great about that ballpark too is it was a great ballpark anyway with great food and great beer options. And now uh, it has a great team. So it's, uh, it's really, it's popping off in San Diego. Yeah. One of my favorite places to go catch a game. I caught a couple there, geez, three, four, probably four years ago now. They were still pre pre competitive mode for sure but uh, didn't change anything about how much i enjoyed the park and the area around the park and you know i would say the padres are among my favorite first half storylines we expect them to be good again but i think i had a little bit of that yeah what if it wasn't real like that was a, a little bit of doubt that kind of crept into my mind earlier this year i'm glad they're still good i like that team they're a fun team and they're great for the game uh, I think the other big first half storyline, aside from Otani, who we talked about earlier, we've talked about Vlad Jr. in recent weeks, like Vlad rising to stardom. That's pretty amazing. I think the Giants have to be part of this too, because I I think the Giants and maybe people who feel, who live in the West Coast feel differently than I do about this, but I think of the Giants as one of those teams that when they're good, that's also good for the game. You want your kind of pillar franchises to be competitive, to have success, to draw big crowds, to be a good marquee sort of team. And the ways they have done it, the things they have accomplished with the resources they have in place, they're getting as much out of a group of players as any team in the league right now, where they're exceeding expectations. I keep waiting for that fade to happen, and they're at least well in the driver's seat for an NL wildcard spot if they don't win the division, which I didn't think I'd be saying in July. Like they actually look like a possible contender in the NL West as we get to the second half of the season. Yeah. Wouldn't it just be a poke in the eye of the analytics nerds if the old dudes won? Yes. No, not really. <laughs> I mean, kind of, but I mean, <laughs> I mean but they've embraced it. They're they're winning because of analytics too. You know, it's mm-hmm. not, they're not like uh, they're not like taking all the. I mean, they are taking the old guys because they're undervalued. I mean, because the analytics yeah. say they're still good, uh, and they're coaching the heck out of them with the largest coaching staff in the big leagues. Um, and uh, and and I, you know, uh, really interesting people. You know, they've got Fernando Perez, who's like a poet former baseball player slash poet. Uh, he's, he's one of their coaches. They've got Alyssa Nikin, one of the, uh, one of the, is it, she's she the only, uh, uh, woman coach, uh, in the, in the, on in the, the big leagues? league level. Yeah. Big league, on level. the big league level. Um, and, uh, and just like three hitting coaches is not super rare. There are like probably about eight teams that do that, but they have 15 coaches and the, the second, the next tier of teams, there's a bunch with 13. So they, they were like, we're going to coach the crap out of this. We're, you know, like teacher to student ratio. We're just going to have uh, a ton of teachers here. And you've got, you got someone to talk to at any time. And something I didn't put in the story though. Uh, and this goes back to the old regime. If they talk to somebody, they have an, an internal communication system. And this is something that other teams that don't have, this is what separates some, some of the haves and the have nots. They have an internal communication system where they're like, I just talked to Brandon Belt. We talked about not getting too rotational, and uh, we did this drill with the with the net. 
Um, and uh, the hope, the hope, we're hoping the outcome is uh, more line drives up the middle. Bing, bang, boom. It's like cues, drills, uh, uh, conversation, who the coach was, who the player was. You just fill it in. And that sounds like maybe a TPS report. You know, it's really annoying that you have to do that. But really, I think you can do it in like five minutes. And what's amazing about that is you press it, you press enter, and everybody in the organization knows that you just did that. Anybody yeah. who logs onto Brandon Belt's page says, oh, you know what? It's not now is not the time for me to go talk to Brandon Belt. I know who Brandon Belt is. You know, he's not he's not a guy who wants to get overcoached. And we just talked to him today. So I'm going to stay away from him for a little bit and let him work on whatever he's working on. And you can also then go later and like every time we told the player this cue or we used this drill, we got this these kind of results afterwards. So there's it's like an analytics uh, dream to get that kind of data. Yeah. Um, and, uh, and so it's a combination of them. They were actually pretty far out in front of this because of Silicon Valley, you know, even Sabian and, and, and Bobby Evans being more of a sort of scouting forward group, they had this in place where they were communicating all the time, uh, with all their scouts and all their coaches in this, in this very centralized information system. Yeah. I mean, if we're talking first half storylines, guys, like we have to mention Jacob deGrom, though. And the fact that the Mets are in yeah. first place. To me, that's another yeah. big storyline. Uh, you hit on some of the ones that I definitely would have mentioned, Derek. I think the White Sox are, are an important first half storyline. With um, the injuries, you know, too. It's crazy yes. that they're this good and they've had so many injuries. I feel like maybe Rodon. we underestimate how good they might be in the postseason. Like Maybe they're a, a World Series contender, like a championship contender, because... They've been sort of humming along, and then they are going to get some of these guys back. Like, Eloy is going to be back in a few weeks, I think. Yeah. So there's, I mean, you know, you look at some of, like, Jason Starks. I always love Jason Starks' midseason column where he goes through. And I didn't, I guess I kind of forgot that Rodon was, he was released or waived last year. Uh, or non-tendered. That's what it was. And it's remarkable to be where he is, which is leading the White Sox. And some of the reasons that they've been able to keep afloat. So I think the White Sox are always going to be a storyline uh, just because of Tony La Russa And like you mentioned, the injuries, you know, they're a very good team. Uh, we talked about the Giants, like getting off to that fast start. And it looks like it's not just a fast start, right? They're going to continue to to hold this over. On the flip side, look what happened to Cleveland. Look what happened to Chicago. I mean, you look at some of these teams that were playing, we can all probably say way above their skis. They flatlined here. The Giants haven't had this like two week losing 13 to 14 kind of stretch. And I just don't think they're going to at this point in time. They may have a bad series, a bad week. I just don't think they're set up for that kind of. I think the imposters have already been revealed here by this like mid July, you know, early July kind of point. There was a finding from our 60 game season. We were looking at um, uh, how much information uh, you get about a team um uh, by by season length basically and one of the things that we found was that like sort of 60 to 80 games um really does separate uh teams and that there's not that actually that much more information we gain that like this is we have a good sense of who's who's good now of course injuries can still happen um you know other things can still happen to change and we're not saying i'm not saying that like these uh standings are set in stone but um, you know, like you said, like we had, we've had had flashes in the pan, uh, like the Cubs and they've fallen back already, uh, because we've given them a fair, a fair sample. I mean, we're getting up on 90 games here. Um, so 
you know, I, I think that the uh, the athletics kind of, you know, having 50 wins already uh, is kind of is, is a cool story because, you know, they get they get counted out every year um, and they have one all star, even though they have Chris Bassett and Sean Manaya, uh, two guys that I think uh, a lot of baseball and myself included, like I I. I always sort of doubted Manaya, but the, those guys, you know, those guys being the two the two aces for the team when we always thought it might be Luzardo and Puck uh, is, is kind of interesting too. So yeah, they're uh, well, the they're the Tampa Bay, kind of aren't they? They're, they're 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 like Tampa Bay. Tampa Bay's good. No one really cares that much, right? It's the same kind of thing. In Oakland. It's like cool, <laughs> yeah. they're good on no money. People don't realize how incredible and amazing that is, you know. And and these teams have fun and personality, and uh, you know, mm. I think on the flip side, we can't mention. First half storylines. Maybe this isn't a favorite, but don't act like some people listening to this podcast are not watching the Yankees fault this dumpster fire going on and excited. I know some of you out there are like, you know what? I don't feel bad. <laughs> well, it's a it's a storyline, so it doesn't have to be positive, right? So on the negative side, I think the Yankees and Braves uh, are disappointing a lot of people, um, and it's interesting because they are close enough to five hundred where you know. They could get it going, and and the Yankees have more favorable underlying stats than the Braves. The Yankees are third in barrel rate, uh, have the best bullpen by war. Like, uh, you know, as much as people are chickenling that situation, um, I think a, a couple things could go right for them. Like Tyon is is kind of back on his horse. If if something like that happens, if Kluber comes back and pitches it all, um, I could see the Yankees kind of sneaking in on a wild card and, and surprising people. And they would go back and be like, oh, Cashman's angry speech turned it all around or whatever. But um, the Braves, on the other hand, uh, I don't know. I don't see the same like, oh, look at this. They're unlucky here and unlucky here. They're just not quite as good as we thought in a lot of different ways and then uh, suffered some, some injuries um, that were key too as well. Yeah, I think the key in the AL West is just that Boston continues to play at a level above what anyone would have expected, right? I said they were good enough to finish third in the division, and I was called jabroni. <laughs> Clearly, Sorry. they are at least good enough to finish third in the division, but are they really this good? They're 20 games over 500 right now. The Rays, we expected to be good. We thought this was going to be Rays versus Yankees for the division, and then maybe the Jays or the Red Sox would push for a wild card. That's what we expected coming into the season, and things haven't fallen into place like that. The AL East is really tough in large part because the Red Sox are exceeding expectations. Yeah, I mean, okay, we have to say they're a surprise. I don't know. I, I This is a something I don't, I, I because I've lived in Boston, I went to school in Boston, and, uh, you know, my dad's been a Giants fan uh, since the 80s, so, you know, I've been going to Giants games since the 80s. Um, I, I don't get the sense of like, do people hate the Red Sox as much as they hate the Yankees? No, no. they do not. Do people hate the Giants as much as they like you mentioned that? Do you hate the Giants like that? The, the only people who really hate Giants fans or are LA Dodgers fans. fans. Yeah. That's it. Because yeah. out, outside of the West Coast, I we don't care about the Giants. Like they they're they're pretty much irrelevant from just like a day-to-day fan perspective. The So maybe they're actually sort of similar. The Giants and Red Sox are like these they're good teams with big budgets uh that have some hate in in small rivalries, but outside of those regions people are like, you know, okay, the Red Sox are good. That's fun. 
Yeah, if you're caught in the middle, if you're not a Cardinals fan, you hate the Cardinals. Like that's that's the rule in the middle of the country, right? I mean, and I don't really know if if the AL Central fans have strong rivalries. It feels like that division has maybe the weakest rivalries of all the divisions in baseball. Like, do you think oh, yeah. there's a lot of animosity between Tigers and White Sox fans or Twins fans and anybody? Like, Twins fans are generally so polite. Why is like, that? That's just it's the Midwest. They're nice. I don't know why they're they're, they're <laughs> everyone's nice. Weather. No, maybe the, there hasn't been like a dominant team. Part of that, yeah, yeah, they haven't had one team run the division for forty years. Like that hasn't really been the case. And not a no, no real big budget team sort of outspending the rest. Although yeah. White Sox have the ability to maybe. Yeah, they do. They feel like they're on a pretty level playing field yeah. across that division more often than not. I could see like a run of dominance making you the evil empire, right? The Yankees yeah, winning sure. all those you know World Series and spending all that money. Uh, puts them on the radar for everybody in America uh, in a different way than like Cleveland, you know, winning a few AL pennants and uh, a world. They got one, right? They got one World Series. Did they get one? No. Cleveland lost to Atlanta oh. in seven when we I was, were I was talking. Yeah, I was talking about that Atlanta that Atlanta time. No, because they, didn't get they one back then. no, because then they lost to the Cubs recently. It's been a while. Yeah, yeah they lost to the Cubs. I knew that, but I'm saying I thought they got one in the '90s. Pretty sure they lost that series to the Braves and didn't oh get goodness. one otherwise. They've got a long losing streak oh, no. in Cleveland. When was the last time the Indians won the World Series? Like 1953? Something like that. 1944? That's the war. So 48. 48, yeah. Whew. It's been a while. They must have the, long, they must have the longest drought then. Yeah, it's because they're good during the regular season too that I think people are like, oh, it's not like long-suffering, but they kind of are long-suffering. One last thought, kind of tying these teams together that are among our favorite first half storylines. Oh, here it is. The Astros. Longest go- World Series droughts active in all time. Indians. Wow. 72 years. I feel like. Yeah, it's the longest active. Wow. Rangers second with 60, and the Padres are third with 52. All right, Never baby. Had one. <laughs> all the reasons drive. in the world to uh, watch us on YouTube today with the swag chain that Eno is sporting. Be sure to hit the like button if you're watching us over there as well. The Astros, my Astros, your Astros, our Astros, plus 275 to win the AL. Uh, so they're still the favorites, but it's close. The White Sox are down to plus 325. Then you get the Red Sox at plus 500, Rays at plus 600, A's at plus 750, and Yankees at plus 800. Rays at plus 600 is the where the odds coming together with the likelihood uh, make me interested, I think. Yep. I'm I'm with you there. Wander Franco has held his own, and if we're you know if he can turn that into you know a, a dominant streak, then I think that changes a lot. And he's probably still going to get better before the season's over, too. That's been the the thing I've thought all along is that he could make those adjustments faster than most players, given what he's accomplished to this point uh, in his career. If you're as obsessed with basketball as I am, then you know there's no better time of year than the NBA playoffs. Hey guys, this is JJ Redick. Twice a week, I'm cooking up something special for basketball junkies on my podcast, The Old Man and the Three. I bring on guests in all stages of their careers to talk about the league and share stories you won't hear anywhere else, like Devin Booker on why he talks so much trash 
or Paulo Bencaro on his shooting workouts with Kevin Durant, Ray Allen's epic free throw competitions with LeBron when they were teammates in Miami. But it's not just about the player interviews. Every Monday, I break down the top three things happening around the NBA without the outlandish takes. Often joined by masterminds of the game like Tim Legler, we dive deep into topics like rookie reports, trade breakdowns, and why is mean mugging now a tech? The Old Man of the Three is the only companion podcast you'll need during the playoffs this year. Be sure to listen to The Old Man and the Three ad-free on Wondery Plus or wherever you get your podcasts. And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. All right, let's get to a few questions here before we go. This one comes from Tom. Tom wants to know, I've heard many times that a pitcher should not go more than about 20% over the previous year's innings with 2020 only being 60 games. This year, we're already at that level. Is there cause for concern for even more pitching injuries as we move through the second half of the season? And have you guys heard anything about teams uh, changing up their workload plans in the second half? Because a lot of teams talked about doing things kind of on the fly, figuring out as they go. Have you heard any rumblings of teams backing off guys or changing things up from their previous very loose plans? I haven't. You know, I don't know if you have. I think going into this season, I spoke to a lot of people that were like, we have not seen the end of the injuries. And certainly we've seen injuries. And they were right. Yeah, continue to go up. Um, I think the bigger issue here. Now is, you know, you saw Clayton Kershaw with the forearm, um, is what is going to happen with these. You're going to see maybe a lot of forearm and elbow or hand issues because of the lack of sticky stuff. So I think the 60 game season certainly is going to play a little bit of a part in here, but a lot of guys adapted their off season routines. If they needed to throw more, they threw more. Um, I think what you might see here is what's happening in terms of the sticky stuff. Um, that, that that's what I think. Um, I don't know about you. You know, I haven't heard too much about teams saying, well, because of COVID, we've got to shut down these guys, maybe in the minor leagues, but not really at the big league level. Yeah, I do. Uh, I talked to, uh, I'm, I'm going to write this up uh, soon, but uh, I talked to a major league pitcher uh, who said uh, my arm effing hurts uh, since they stopped using the sticky stuff. Uh, my arm and elbow really hurt. So um, I think that's going to uh, start to come down through the pipe. So that, though, I guess you could look at the RPM losers. Uh, you can do the work on Savant um, and, and kind of maybe guess. But um, I think that'll be really tough to get out in front of. I just I think that uh, that'll be just shots in the dark. And I wouldn't necessarily trade away Corbin Burns or somebody just because they dropped 200 RPM. Like I, I just think that, uh, that might be overthinking it. Uh, some of the guys that we've seen, uh, lose RPM are pitching just fine and haven't seen almost any drop off in their, in their results. Others have had some re- result drop offs, you know, uh, most notably maybe one in, uh, New York, but, uh, uh, but who knows? Like he, he might just have hit uh, a matchup problem. You know, you might just you think he might have had a bad stretch of three games randomly. You know, like 
even the best pitchers have three bad games. So it's like, you know, you can ascribe too much to being like, oh, these RPM are down. Therefore, he's never, you know, never going to be a good pitcher again. Um, so uh, I don't know that I would react too heavily to this. One thing I would say is also uh, it, just in terms of like in, uh, innings management, when you look at the innings leaders, so those are the ones that you might be most worried about uh, in terms of being shut down. There's almost uh, not a single, like there's one name that comes off the page for me um, as a young pitcher that um, hasn't maybe reached these heights in innings before, is on a team that might have enough pitching depth to deal with it um, and may slow him down. And that is Julio Urias on the Dodgers, 10th in baseball at 106 innings. Um, I guess Trevor Rogers at 32nd on the second page uh, is a possibility. Maybe Tyler Molly. Um, but... In general part, I think they've already been effing with the innings. You know what I'm saying? Like, you, they didn't let their youngest guys get to 90 innings already. You know what I'm saying? So Yeah, I, I think some of those guys were over-managed in the first half in some ways. A couple of yeah. them had injuries. Like, Michael Kopech was going to be carefully managed. Some of them to started Howard. The yeah, some of them have been in between, yeah. Yeah, Patino got hurt, had a finger injury for a little while. That cut his innings. Sandy Alcantara is second in the league in innings behind Zach Wheeler right now. I think I'd probably add him to your list uh, along with Urias. Younger guys that you just look at and say, well, tracking towards 200 innings, that might be a little too much. And I think the key difference for me, too, with Urias versus Alcantara, one of those guys pitches for a team that will likely go to the playoffs. The other one pitches for one that will not go to the playoffs. So the Marlins have a lot more flexibility to just say, okay, you're good. You got to 175, 180, wherever their number is. We feel good about this workload. Let's shut you down now. Have you ready to go? You'll be fresh and and good for 2022. So I I would say I'm a little more concerned about Sandy Alcantara than most. Yeah, I guess Alcantara and Rodgers then maybe are are near the top. Urias, you know, the Dodgers may just have like a three or some three or four inning starts where they just try to keep him low that way Um, uh, because I do think they might need him. I mean, that Division starting to look like a dogfight, you know, and like yeah. they don't necessarily have um, uh, the depth anymore. I mean, like past Gonsolin, I don't know what you're really looking at, I, unless it's calling up Josiah Gray. They need a starter at the deadline, I think. They need a starter. Um, you don't know what's going to happen with Kershaw. And again, I think this is going to be a how do you parse out what's a COVID related shutdown versus what's a regular shutdown versus a guy sore because of sticky stuff or maybe he didn't sore otherwise. Like, you're almost you. I mean, you will kind of drive yourself insane, right? Like chasing your tail in circles. It all kind of factors in. There's no one. There's no like control group that didn't go through COVID. That's yeah. That's perfect. And then uh, on top of that, we like just an extrapolation. Of what you're saying is we also don't know. Like some teams are better at getting keeping their like coaching their pitchers through COVID. Like that was one thing I, I was talking to Kyle Bodie and he was really proud of how his Reds have been doing guys like Gutierrez and Santiago and those guys are coming up. They've they're coming up with 90 plus pitches. They can, they can pitch to five through five innings. Whereas other teams uh, don't necessarily have that with their young guys when they come up. Um, and he was talking about all the, the tech and stuff that they did to stay in touch with their pitchers during COVID and, and, and stay on top of that. There are other organizations that were just like, Hey, uh, see you when I see you. Uh, we'll let you know when we have spring training 2.0. And some of those, uh, like the <coughs> Cardinals are having uh, massive injuries 
uh, up and down their uh, up and down their their pitching staffs and uh, and are, are struggling right now with pitching depth. So, you know, I did single out two uh, one you know in, in either direction, but I don't think even you know if I used all my sourcing that I could really give you a ranking of like the you know how well the they would coach their pitching staffs over COVID. I don't even think I could tell you. Uh, and I wouldn't necessarily go pick up Vlad Gutierrez because the Reds did a better job during, you know. So there's not really, it's really. I think that's it's one of these things where it's like it's it's really hard to find something actionable here. It's just it's like a oh man, we're all screwed sort of situation. It really is. I think outside of those handful of younger guys, especially the two in Miami, where you can just really kind of figure out the plan if they want to cut things short. Everybody else is just still trying to figure it out. They're they're working in the dark with a flashlight, just trying to <laughs> figure out where the next innings are going to come from because they don't really know. They haven't gone through any of cha- the changes like this. Uh, we had an email come in from Ryan trying to help us out here. He writes, you guys talked about it today and it got me wondering. I know there are foods that do certain things to your body. For example, <laughs> eating too many carrots makes your poo orange. Do you think there is a chemical or some food that you'll sweat out that when combined with rosin <laughs> makes it stickier than normal sweat and rosin? What if you have a certain type of electrolyte that when you drink it, it gets sweated out, it makes your RPMs go up? If you guys know anything, let me know. We can split the profit selling it to players. Ryan. <laughs> I love it. Well, I think that maybe the answer would be like more salt, sweating out more salt. But then I think that you might get dehydrated doing it. But it, it is right. interesting to turn your body into a, a spider tack machine. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I know you can, if you eat too much garlic, you just smell like garlic. It kind of comes out of your pores. I don't think that, I don't know if stickiness, tackiness is something you can change about your sweat. But it's it's one of the more creative solutions to the creating a sticky substance problem that i've seen one one thing i love about this though is absolutely the way pitchers think (laughs) like this is this is not this will not be the first or last time that this thought has been had as great as it is because i was talking to a pitcher about developing a new ball uh brit and Lindsay and i have a story uh, up on the athletic about developing a new ball and uh, he was talking about like the idea that they might spray the balls with like a tacky substance uh, and he's like, okay, spray the ball with a tacky substance. I'm going to rub all the tack off of one ball, throw it away, ask for a new ball. Now I've doubled up. And I was like, oh, my God. And then he goes, oh, <laughs> you have a, a thing you spray on the balls uh, that's tacky? I'm going to find out what that substance is and just spray that on my hands. Yeah. Bam, double tack. <laughs> yeah. And I was like, oh, God, your depravity knows no bounds. <laughs> so somewhere, you're telling me somewhere – in this country or somewhere in the world, there is someone eating <laughs> gallons of honey every single week. They're slathering honey on bagels, on pizza, on hot dogs, on everything they eat and because this is the stickiest the food I know about. <laughs> and, and trying to see if they can make that sweat stickier. I, I, I do think that eventually there is going to be some kind of pre-tag and there's almost no way to stop like what Eno said. These guys are going to find the line and push it and push it and push it. And as long as it's not the level that it got to, I think most players are going to be okay with it, right? Like they're going to be okay knowing that some guys are using a little extra as long as we're not using talking spider tech and getting this crazy. Yeah, I think that I think that was this player's point too. Is like I don't think the problem is these smaller levels because I I think it's almost impossible to stop pitchers from doing this sort of stuff. The problem was like plus five hundred RPM, like just just blowing people out of the water with uh, with glue, basically. (laughs) Yeah. 
Exactly. God, I hope no one's putting glue on a bagel. <laughs> no, oh. just, no, yes. I, oh, I Ito, tell everybody who may want to come to our little all-star uh, shindig on Sunday. That's right. On Sunday in Denver, we are playing Wiffle Ball at Tivoli Brewing. Uh, with beers and uh, at least one food truck, which now I really hope the one that shows up at least. Uh, but uh, Tivoli Brewing uh, at from five from four to seven, uh, wiffle ball, wiffle ball and beer, and uh, it should be fun out outdoors. Hopefully, cool down a little bit by then. Uh, Denver looks pretty hot, but uh, I'm excited to do it. Oh, there will be. Uh, I found out a a, a portable PA system. So uh, if you don't want to do the playing, maybe you can take over the DJing uh, or the announcing. Um, <laughs> I, I might want to take an inning with my old-time announcer voice. Here comes Brittorelli to the plate. <laughs> Amazing. Derek, I think we should FaceTime you for at least part of this. <laughs> Please she record this. a double to center field and she's off to the races. <laughs> <laughs> I may or- <laughs> imagine living in a world where everyone talked like that. Uh, they- I love it. Did they, or was it just like the technology that sent them through like that? Oh, I mean, everybody, yeah, every voice you heard on the radio sounded it like kinda that. Did. <laughs> it's amazing. Oh God, truly amazing! If uh, you want to join in the festivities, I think there's still some room there. You get the links on Eno's Twitter account at Eno Saris. You can find Britt at Britt underscore Giroli. I am at Derek Van Riper. If you don't have a subscription to The Athletic, you should get one. They are three ninety nine a month to start at theathletic.com slash rates and barrels. Going to have a lot of great stuff coming out in the next couple of weeks. Uh, more questions to be answered. Feel free to send us questions, rates and barrels at theathletic.com. Happy to answer as many of those as we can as we get ready for the second half of the season. That is going to wrap things up for this episode of Rates and Barrels. We are back with you on Monday. Thanks for listening. As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager.